All right, my friends, it's time for Crypto Q&A, a follow-up to Crypto Over Coffee that we're gonna be posting every week. So make sure you are subscribed. And remember, you can leave your questions if you want them answered, either here in the YouTube comments or if you're on the podcast platforms where you can't leave a comment, please feel free to send me questions via Twitter. I always ask for questions on Friday night or Saturday before Crypto Over Coffee launches. So just so you know, you can get your question answered. The first question we have on the books today is from uh, Netrunner Alpha from Twitter. And this is a really good question. Assuming that there is an ETH POW fork after the Ethereum merge, and assuming that anyone actually cares, what happens to stable coins on that new chain, so on the fork? Now, this is a really interesting question because it r raises a really important design consideration for stable coins, especially centrally issued stable coins. Now, let's take USDC, for example, USD coin. It's issued by Circle and it's backed by assets uh, sort of behind the scenes in reserve. Now, if there becomes a situation where Ethereum goes through the merge and the miners keep hold of the Ethereum network where proof of work still exists, and that's the ETH POW network, then what will ultimately happen is you'll see the centralized issuers of these stable coins basically saying, no, we are not going to basically in one fell swoop take 100% of the issued units of that stable coin that were on Ethereum and just basically double them, what they're going to do is they're going to make a decision about whether or not they want to add to reserves to support that new supply on the ETH POW chain, which I doubt they'll do. But more likely, they're probably going to say that they do not support those USD coins. They're likely going to uh, enforce a burn on those coins, or they're simply going to ensure that those are not usable. So they're effectively going to be deny listed, explicit deny on those USDC coins. Same thing's probably gonna go for USDT, so Tether. Ultimately, what you're likely going to see is unless there is significant adoption on ETH POW, which I doubt there's going to be, for anyone but miners, of course, you will see all the centralized stablecoin issuers basically saying we do not support them. I actually think Circle's already said that they're not gonna support it, or they've said they'll look into it after the fact for USDC. I'm not sure if USDT has done the same, but you will not very likely see stablecoins basically having a huge supply inflation event because of this fork. That's my opinion. So thank you for your question, and that's a great one to think about. Next question here is from Nick Nayef from Twitter again. How much of an impact on BTC's price in this cycle is the fact that people have more stable options to take their profits that are stable compared to previous cycles? Now, I think right now what you see with uh, with crypto, with Bitcoin, with really any risk asset is this is the first time since Bitcoin's inception that we've had a really true recession. This is the first time we've had a really true economic uh, a set of economic strife that people really are focused on and we've had money printing we've had great conditions for equities for crypto for all kinds of risk assets over the last i don't know 10 to 12 years basically since bitcoin was created as a protest to the bailouts of banks in the 2008 crisis and that whole disaster that happened economically this is the first time that we've really seen an issue where people are backing away from risk assets people are really scared now here's the thing i don't think there are uh necessarily it's an, i don't think it's necessarily a situation where people are moving into 
uh, stable assets per se, as its people don't know where else to turn. They are moving to cash, they're moving to bonds, which are of course more stable assets, but it's not because they don't value Bitcoin or they're, they don't understand what's going on. It's really because people are fearful and when they're fearful, they move away from things with perceived risk. And so Bitcoin is of course atop that list. This runs a little bit counter to this whole idea that Bitcoin is a uh, hedge against inflation. And a lot of people are upset about this because they're thinking I was sold this notion that Bitcoin is going to be stable in economic strife. But the reality is this market is so small. It's so small. And because of that, you have a lot of people that treat it like equities. They treat it like any other risk market or any other risk asset. And you also see uh, gold hasn't done so hot either as a uh, an inflation hedge asset, as a hedge against uh, recessions and all sorts of things. Yeah, it's been a little bit more stable, but there's still been some value loss there as well. So what I would say is this whole Bitcoin price action and equities and crypto in general is more derivative of the fact that we are for the first time in an environment where the economies around the world are in panic mode rather than anything else. So I, to me, I'm not shaken on the fundamentals of Bitcoin and a lot of cryptocurrencies and a lot of cryptocurrencies are trash. But in this case, I think that the biggest thing is we need to return back to um, to sort of stasis when the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank and all the economic or macroeconomic conditions sort of return back to at least a baseline. I'm not saying we have to go straight to quantitative easing again and money printing. That would be counterproductive. Um, once you see that, I think you'll start to see recovery in these markets. Thanks for asking this question. Uh, the next one is from Distant Penguin. Where do you think the future of NFT royalties is headed? Should marketplaces enforce them? And is this future Metaplex standard good for the future of the ecosystem? Now, there's a lot here. Um, NFT royalties are critical to NFTs being viable in any way, shape or form long term. And yes, marketplaces should enforce them. The reason being is that if you want any real industry to adopt NFTs, you need to bring that feature into the mix. Media and entertainment companies in the music world, in the video and audio world, in the uh, um, feature film world. Basically, anyone who creates things for a living that has sold this idea of NFTs is going to want royalties baked in to any platform that they use. There's a reason why. Royalties are a huge pain in the butt to deal with today. So if you solve that problem, in addition to solving the problem of digital certificates of ownership and authenticity that NFTs are, then you've created a really solid, compelling product. Also opening up secondary market sales that also produce royalties. That's a huge win for gaming and media and entertainment. So when I say royalties are important, I mean that these need to be integrated directly in with the NFT smart contract standards. So ERC-721, ERC-1155, all the Solana standards, all the uh, Cardano standards, all of these blockchain networks need to establish well-vetted standards that everyone agrees on, at least to the greatest extent possible. I know getting agreement from everyone's difficult. But formulate these standards with modules for royalties and different structures of royalty from the get-go. That is the best way to go about this. And the Metaplex standard, I believe, and, and I'm not super well-versed in this, I believe it is a, um, a standard in the Solana ecosystem. It has done something very similar to that, which is it's establishing um, parameters that live on the blockchain through the smart contract that determine who is a recipient of royalties given certain conditions. 
that is exactly what needs to happen. And a lot of people say, oh, well, royalties are bad. It could be abused. Transparency is key. If you see a royalty that is in the smart contract, it's transparent. If you see royalties that are held off chain somewhere in some other application or some other back office shady dealing, you can't see it. So as the user, if you buy that NFT and you find out later there's like a 12% royalty on, on secondary sale, then you might be like, well, I wouldn't have bought this. So that's the idea. Put it on the smart contract. It's transparent to everyone. It's self-enforcing. And marketplaces will have an easier time of, of adopting and enforcing these royalties. So the final thing I'm going to say on this is that with royalties, you're going to see over the next probably three years, three to five years, a huge reckoning in the NFT space where a lot of what we see today goes away and things like next generation royalty-based uh, NFTs, very focused NFT standards for different types of applications. So gaming, media and entertainment, uh, digital art, all sorts of stuff. You're gonna see specializations start to happen and royalties are gonna be a big part of that. Now, I wanna take a moment to thank the sponsor of today's crypto Q&A, SmartFi, who offer crypto trading, interest, loans, and more as a part of the suite of crypto products on offer at SmartFi. SmartFi themselves are a registered money service business with the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN for short, and the core SMTF token in the SmartFi ecosystem is used to fund small business loans that generate interest for the platform. In this way, the SmartFi token is indexed to the demand for loans, which is very interesting. SmartFi is also the first ever crypto sponsor of the Monster Energy Supercross League, providing exposure to crypto concepts for a broad audience. And who doesn't like watching racing motorcycles and learning about crypto? Because I certainly do. That said, please do continue to the links in the description to check out SmartFi, read more about it. And of course, like all my other shows, this is not a call to action to buy tokens of any kind, and you should be aware of the risks in investing in any and all cryptocurrency before investing a single penny in it. Thank you to SmartFi for sponsoring today's crypto Q&A. Now, this is a two-parter from Bushan Vikram, or Vikram, excuse me, on uh, Twitter. What are DIDs or DIDs, and how can DID be useful in Web3? So DID or DID is basically a digital identifier, a digital identity, or digital identity document, depending on who you ask. Everyone has a different nomenclature for this. Now. Digital identity is something I've actually made a whole video about, and I'll, I'll link that up here if you're interested in watching it uh, after you're done with the Q&A show today. But digital identification is this concept that you as the owner of a wallet, so your private key and public key or address pair for a given blockchain, can physically own assets that pertain to attestations of your identity. So that might be um, an attestation that you have a license to drive. That might be an attestation that you have, um, you have performed a, you have performed the necessary tasks that you need to to participate in some sort of regulated activity. Maybe it's a license for um, being a financial advisor. I just I'm kind of spitballing here. Ultimately, what this basically is is a mechanism to cryptographically attest to identity attributes. It could be hours trading. It could be all sorts of things. It can be pretty much anything. And so digital identity will basically, it's part of the unification of your assets. So your NFTs, your fungible tokens, your money, and your identity, which is also your property. And it should be an asset that you and only you can own and share like selectively based on your decision-making. So digital IDs, digital identifiers are designed to use blockchain or other 
cryptographically secured mechanisms of exchange to allow you to own these digital identity documents and attestations so then you can selectively share them at will by signing a transaction with your wallet and attesting to those things in a secure channel. So the example everyone uses, if you go to a bar and you wanna buy a drink, you in the US need to be 21. You don't need to show someone your address that's on your ID to tell them that you're 21. You just need to show them that you're 21. So here you'd be able to selectively share only the attribute you wish to share, which is I am 21. They don't even need to know exactly how old you are, just that you are of age. That's the idea of digital identity. That's what allows you sort of the goal. And that's the way, the mechanism that allows you to get there. Um, I'm, I'm being reductive purposefully because I don't want to go into this whole a technical conversation around digital identity because it's a huge rabbit hole, but how it's useful in Web3 is because it will allow us to create privacy-preserving reputation systems and identification systems, I believe replacing the need for the privacy-violating uh, KYC processes that we have today, the issues we have with bad actors coming back as pseudonymous people on uh you know in the blockchain world and in the crypto world and repeatedly scamming people in the same way under different names i believe that we can create privacy preserving reputation systems that are not in the way that china has implemented them that are not in the way that people look at as dystopian but in ways that make each individual the fulcrum of control not some centralized organization now that is the idea and it's very utopian in that way but it's going to be very difficult to implement because standards need to be set and a lot of things need to happen right for that to actually work out the way i want it to it's a very dangerous game to be playing i completely understand that there are a lot of people with trepidation around digital identity because of what we see in other countries right now um, using it almost as a um, as a serious privacy violation tool as a means for social credit scores and all sorts of things like that. So I agree that cannot be let happen. Um, so that's why it's important to be very focused on development, making sure that we're focused on uh, adopting it in the right way as individuals. But easier said than done. Uh, I think this is the last question. Maybe there's one more. Why is there so much hate, ignorance, and lack of interest towards Cardano from majority of crypto influencers and crypto news websites? Now. This is a tough one because Cardano is probably the most loved and the most hated cryptocurrency in the entire space. There are lots of people who love everything about Cardano and lots of people who despise it. Regardless of personalities and regardless of how Cardano is marketed, it's also in many ways the antithesis of what crypto people look for in a project. They look for move fast and break things, breakneck speed, of delivery, they look for extreme hype, they look for fast price appreciation, and they look for new things day after day after day after day, week after week, that keeps them engaged and excited, whether they're scammy or not. Cardano does not fit that need. Cardano does not feed that addiction, if you will, because they move very slowly, they launch things really slowly, and early on in the project, they would communicate dates and then miss the dates repeatedly and that created this huge negative wall of sentiment against Cardano as this project that promises and never delivers. And they've done a lot to fix that recently, and I respect that. But you have to acknowledge as a Cardano fan or a Cardano hater that that played into the reputation that Cardano has today. However, what I will also say is that Cardano is also a very dense topic. It requires some technical acumen to really understand what Cardano is trying to accomplish, 
how it's doing it and why it's so vastly different and, and in many ways better than what exists today. That is also a barrier because the average news site or influencer, what have you, is not going into that level of depth. They might not be technical, they may be technical, but they're, it requires work to get to that point. It requires work to understand what's going on. And I don't think a lot of people spend that time. The other thing is, and this is the last point that I'll make on this, Cardano is just getting to the point in 2022 with the Vassal hard fork and then what's to come basically in the months after where you're gonna start to see all, like the culmination of all the work to date, projects being able to launch fully in DeFi, uh, NFTs, all sorts of things. You're gonna see the ability now to fix the final pieces of the puzzle around uh, governance, it's a huge one, and layer two technologies. That At that point, by the time we get to the next crypto growth phase, the next bull market, whatever you wanna call it, that's gonna be when we finally see all the cards on the table. This is Cardano as it was intended, what's gonna happen? And I think at that point, you're gonna to start to see some haters flip to people who understand what has been worked on for so long, finally saying, hey, you know, there's actually some opportunity here. Um, and you know, Solana was kind of like that in the beginning. I remember the first time that I saw Solana, people were like, this is never gonna work, it, this is trash. Um, and Solana has come back in many ways, uh, came back in 2021 and really, um, really garnered a lot of interest. So I'm not saying Cardano and Solana are really comparable, they're not, but the point that I'm trying to make is that things can flip very quickly when the fundamentals are there. And I think Cardano is finally getting to the point where the fundamentals are in fact there all in mainnet, not just on paper. So that's my philosophy. Thank you for your question. And I was correct. That was the last question. Sometimes I, I pull out, I pull down a bunch and then I don't remember how many I grabbed. So if you want your question answered next week in the show, you want my uncensored thoughts. And sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong uh, in terms of my opinion. That's just the way it goes in this space. But if you want one of your questions answered again, remember to leave it in the YouTube comments or tweet me at Ashoshi4. Thank you so much for watching this episode of Crypto Q&A. Really excited about this one and splitting it off into a new show gives me so much more freedom to be verbose in my answers, which I like to be. So thank you so much for watching. Have a great rest of your week. And until next time, cheers.